congregation of our Lord and Savior, are all sins equal or are some sins worse than others? Are all sins equal or are some sins worse than others? There's a sense in which all sins are equal in that they are all deserving of death and they all break God's law and they all incur God's displeasure. James wisely writes, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. That's James 2.10. Even the smallest sin is a serious offense to God. Uh, Jesus said of God's law, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And yet all sins are not equally evil. Nor do all sins have the same degree of consequence for the sinners and for others. The New Testament contains a number of lists of sins which result in different outcomes. All of them bad to a greater or lesser degree. Uh, for example, in Mark 7:21 and 22, uh, the list of sins, evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. A distinction is made by the Apostle John in the reading that we had from John 5, 16 through 18 between a sin not leading to death and a sin that leads to death. Now the clearest way to understand that scripture is this. The sins that do not lead to death are those which are committed unwittingly, unconsciously, and which do not involve a conscious rejection of God and his way of salvation. Whereas the sin that does lead to death is a deliberate refusal to believe in Jesus Christ, to follow God's commandments, to love one's brothers and sisters in the Lord. This sin leads to death because it includes a conscious refusal to believe in the one who alone can give life, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. However, as you may well know, this text in 1 John 5, 16 to 18 has been interpreted by some people to mean that some sins result in a weakening of the soul as with sickness, whereas other more serious sins result in a complete loss of salvation. And these ideas were expressed by the 13th century Dominican priest Thomas Aquinas in his work Summer Theologia where he defined mortal and venial sins. A mortal sin is said to be so serious that it separates a person from God's grace, whereas a venial sin is a lesser transgression that doesn't actually break one's relationship with God, but merely injures it. These ideas later became official Roman Catholic doctrine in the Council of Trent held between 1545 and 1563 in response to the Protestant Reformation. Uh, the division of sins into two categories, venial and mortal, forms the background to this fifth head of doctrine in the Canons of Dort, the perseverance of the saints. Article 5.2 in the Canons of Dort refers to daily sins of weakness that cling to even the best works of the saints. 
These are sins which are not deliberate and do not result in the loss of salvation of God's elect. Not because they are lesser sins, but because God's grace, and I'm quoting here from Article 5.3, God's grace once conferred upon his elect powerfully preserve them to the end. Today as we focus on Articles 5, 4 through 7, we come to serious sins. These are deliberate sins with very damaging consequences. And yet like the daily sins of weakness, these sins also do not result in the loss of salvation by God's elect because, quoting from Article 5, 6, he does not permit them, that's his elect, to sink so deep that they fall away from the grace of adoption and the state of justification. Instead, God's elect, who have committed serious sins, losing their salvation, God renews them to repentance. Sorry, not losing their salvation. God renews them to repentance, and through his undeserved mercy, they neither totally fall away from faith and grace nor remain in their downfall and are finally lost. And so when referencing saints, God's people who've fallen into serious sins, the canons of Dort make mention of the lamentable fall of David, Peter, and the other saints. And so this afternoon, we're going to use the example and look at the example of David's lamentable fall and see that the elect, God's elect, may seriously go astray, but yet are not lost. We're going to do that under four headings this afternoon the possibility of serious sin, the effects of serious sin, the securing grace of God, and the renewal of God's elect. So firstly, the possibility of serious sin. Now the birth of a child is a joyful event, and we have rejoiced in the news of the birth of young Noah last week to Jermaine and Michelle. Uriah's widow gave birth to a son, to King David. She'd been living at the king's palace, Bathsheba had been, because previously her husband had been carefully positioned in the front lines of battle against the Ammonites, as we heard. And the enemy archers had killed Uriah, just as David had purposefully planned. Dutiful, faithful, loyal Uriah, his blood was on David's hands, even though this king had been on his couch in Jerusalem all the time. Uriah was dead because his wife had become pregnant by David. About nine months before this baby was born, David had been walking on the roof of his house in the evening. He saw beautiful Bathsheba there. And he was tempted. And a glance became a gaze. Temptation led to sin. David committed adultery, unlawfully taking another man's wife as his own. And David thought... That he'd succeeded in covering his tracks. Uh, Bathsheba bore a son which should have been good news. And yet it was no cause to rejoice because the scripture revealed the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. David had broken the commandments of God. He'd broken the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. He'd broken the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. He'd broken the tenth commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. He'd broken the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me because he'd set himself up as his own God, rejecting God's law. He deserved the sentence of death on multiple counts. 
David was a, a saint, a set-apart child of God, a servant of the Lord, whose scripture describes as a man after God's own heart. Acts 13.22 He's included, David, in the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. He's one of the great cloud of witnesses, Hebrews 12.1. His life reveals the many, many of the truths about the steadfast love of the Lord and about the trials and sufferings that... God's children can experience through this life. We find that in the Psalms in particular. But his life also reveals the reality, which is the topic of Canons of Dort 5.4, that saints may fall into serious sins. This article 5.4 notes that God's people, when they do not watch and pray, are not only drawn away by the flesh, the world, and Satan into serious and atrocious sins, but with the righteous permission of God, are sometimes actually drawn away. We sadly know today of church leaders, ministers, elders around the world who have greatly fallen with wicked and atrocious sins. They, Jesus said to his sleepy disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so the sad example of David's fall into serious sin is a warning to me and to you also. No matter how long we've walked with the Lord, no matter how old or how young we are, no matter how much we've served him, no matter how long we've been faithful to him in the past, we are constantly in spiritual danger of falling into sin. Not one of us is exempt from this ongoing peril. Peter, the Apostle Peter, like David, fell into serious sin where he repeatedly denied Christ. And from bitter experience, he counsels you and me. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. God is gracious to us, congregation, and he warns us, each one of us, if we will listen, of the serious danger of falling into sin. And serious sin has devastating effects, which brings us to our second point, the effects of serious sin. Perhaps one of the most vital lessons that we can learn in life is that actions have consequences. Ignore the need to study sufficiently and you will fail your exam. Forget to fill up the petrol tank in your car and as you drive, eventually, you're going to stop. Cut yourself off from the means of grace that God has provided, and you will wither spiritually. Actions have consequences. As the scriptures affirm, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For what a man sows, this he will also reap. Galatians 6, 7. Parents often do their own children a great disservice by trying to shield them from all the consequences of their actions by constantly bailing them out, paying overdue fines and bills, not following through with consequences for broken rules. But our 
Heavenly Father is wiser than human parents. His servant Nathan brought to David's attention the devastating future effects of the evil that he had done. The sword shall never depart from your house. I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will take away your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And these terrible prophecies were fulfilled. Three of David's sons died violently. Hamnon, Absalom, and Adonijah. Evil did arise from within David's own family. Amnon's rape of Tamar, Absalom's murder of Amnon, and Absalom's rebellion against David. Absalom did take David's wives and openly bring shame to him. That's 2 Samuel 16, 21. The whole kingdom of Israel suffered greatly through King David's sin. And he and Bathsheba both suffered personally. The first child born to them died on the seventh day, having not yet been circumcised on the eighth. And so in addition to all these painful external consequences, David suffered spiritually. The Canons of Dort, Article 5.5, speak of the effects of serious sins. God is offended, and they incur, the sinner, the guilt of death, grieve the Holy Spirit, suspend the exercise of faith, severely wound their conscience, and sometimes for a while lose the sense of God's favor. And this is what David himself expressed about unrepentant sin in Psalm 32 that we sang earlier in the service. Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. For some of us, we may continue to experience the painful consequences of serious sins that we've committed in the past. These may divide our family, strain our marriage. They may have led to great financial difficulty. They may have led to struggles with addictions, depression or despair. And sometimes the Lord is pleased to allow us to reap some or all of the consequences of what we ourselves have sown in our own lives. But as Canons of Dort 5.6 express, God will not permit his elect to be lost, which brings us to our third point, the securing grace of God. I've never been physically blind, but I know that physical blindness is a disability. Danger may lie ahead in your path when you're physically blind and you can't see it. But I put it to you this afternoon that spiritual blindness is more dangerous. It's a worse disability because the danger is greater. David could see Uriah's wife's body from that rooftop. But unlike Joseph in Potiphar's house, he couldn't see the spiritual danger, and so he didn't turn away and flee to safety. And David had been spiritually blind for nine months, not seeing his sin, although it should have been glaringly obvious to him. 
And then Nathan presented the king with a case study about the abuse of power and privilege. A rich man with plenty took the only ewe lamb of a poor man, one which was dear to him and his family. David had a keen sense of justice for others. As king, he was a supreme judge and difficult cases in his kingdom were brought to him. And he declares of the ruthless, greedy man, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. Hear the anger of David against the meanness and the heartlessness of the rich man. But unwittingly and unknowingly, he condemns himself. And the penalty for adultery and also for murder in the Old Testament law was death. Nathan was used by God to show David the sin which had somehow remained concealed and hidden from him by himself. He'd suppressed the truth in unrighteousness, to use the words of Romans 1.18. And so the judge of Israel, of all Israel, is judged by God's prophet. You are the man. You're the mean, heartless, rich man who was given such great honor, privilege, and power, anointed king over all of Israel, delivered from Saul who was trying to kill you, given care of all of Saul's wives, his harem, given the house of Israel. How could David have been so blind to what was so obvious? Well, his heart was deceitful and wicked above all things and desperately sick the same kind of heart that you and I have how blind <laughs> how blind I can be to my sin and how blind we can all be to our own sin <coughs> excuse me now here's the thing David could have had Nathan executed on the spot David could have cursed God for the devastation his prophet promised would fall on him. He could have tried to make excuses. That's exactly what Saul had done before him and what Adam before that had done. But instead he simply said, I have sinned against the Lord. In the words of Canons of Dort 5, 6, God, who is rich in mercy according to the unchangeable purpose of his election, does not completely withdraw his Holy Spirit from his own, even in their deplorable fall. Neither does he permit them to sink so deep that they fall away from the grace of adoption and the state of justification, or commit the sin unto death or the sin against the Holy Spirit, and totally deserted by him, plunge themselves into eternal ruin. God mercifully brought David to true repentance, eternally securing a man who had sinned so greatly he did this by his securing grace and then he renewed David which brings us to our last point the renewal of God's elect so hard for us to accept God's truth when confronted with our own sin whether that occurs when we're confronted with it through God's means of grace his word and spirit whether we're confronted as we reflect on our situation or whether someone comes to us and calls us out. 
True repentance involves a loss of face. It's shameful. It's humiliating. It's hard because it only comes when we see ourselves as we really are. True repentance would leave us all utterly crushed were it not for God's grace in Christ. David describes the background to his own words of confession in Psalm 32. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. In the words of Canons of Dort 5.7, David grieved from his heart with a godly sorrow for the sin, sins he had committed. And Nathan brought God's renewing grace and truth to David. The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. And so David received comfort from the Lord who had forgiven him. He was then able to go into the house of the Lord and truly worship. That's Second Samuel 12:20. His relationship with, with God was restored. And David received grace, uh, the reconciling favor of God, so he could again adore the Lord's mercies and faithfulness. How was that possible? Only through Christ, who later in history, as a descendant of a David in his humanity, would die for David's sin and for yours and for mine. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God always, always renews his elect to repentance so that not one of them will ever be eternally lost. And so here's the thing, seriously sinful King David, once saved, was always saved by God's securing grace. And those who understand just how merciful the Lord has been towards them in Christ, whether their sins are more in the category of daily sins of weakness or in the more serious category of serious sins with greater consequence, they, quoting from Kansadot 5.7, from now on more diligently work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. Perhaps you are uncomfortable this afternoon because either now or in the past you've been blind to your own sin. Perhaps you've only just recently seen yourself as you truly are. Perhaps you've done something or said something or thought something that you knew or know to be against what God has said is good and just and right. We all need to be reminded that God is gracious. He will forgive. Even if you are straying far away from your pathway of Lord has laid out, even at times when you and I may experience the most devastating of consequences, the call of God is always to turn back, receive the profound comfort of God's forgiveness in Christ. In repentance, there is the renewal of strength to endure the consequence of past sins and to continue to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. God renewed his adopted son David he blessed him and later on David was able to comfort his wife Bathsheba who bore him a second son who, who didn't die in infancy and David called his second son Solomon which means God is peace 
And Nathan, the prophet, called the second son Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord. The special favor of God was on Solomon and therefore on David, his father also, and on his mother Bathsheba. Repentant sinners like King David are loved by God. And this is grace. Grace. God preserves his saints even when they go seriously astray so that they are not eternally lost. Congregation, to use the words of Psalm 103, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Congregation, there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And so in light of all these glorious truths, go like David and work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Amen.